0: Good morning. Happy August. I love August. I love hot weather. It's good weather for golf. The days are long, not a lot of rain. As a matter of fact, I went to a birthday party uh, this weekend, and the person we were celebrating, her birthday was in November, but she loved August so much, she just decided to have her birthday in August. I think I'm going to do that next year. I'm December, so I'm just going to move it up to August, have a, have a pool party for my birthday so, uh, it really is cool. I mean, the, the, um, the best thing about August, though, I think, is football. Football is just getting ready to get started. Anybody excited about football? A couple people, all right. Yeah. So, uh, Louisville, Notre Dame is in 29 days. I've got it on my calendar. I can't wait for that. Getting excited. Oh, hey, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, uh, I especially love this August. Because today, the first week in August, represents the fulfillment of my commitment to uh, cover the preaching through the summer. So um, I, I'm serious. I, I, uh, I really do want, want to kind of notice that day. Tom's going to be preaching next week. Tom Schneller will be preaching next week when we talk about global missions. And Doug will be back in eight days. And uh, Doug, so two weeks from today, Doug will be preaching again. And. Uh, some of you may not know this, but when, when, when I committed to do this back in uh, the spring, I wasn't confident I would be able to pull this off. So I, I've never, until June 2nd, I'd never preached two consecutive weeks. So I was pretty nervous about it, but it's been, uh, it's, it's turned out to be a lot of fun. It's, uh, I've learned a lot of things, much more than the scriptures that I've been studying. I've learned uh, what it means to just kind of be quiet and listen to God and uh, to have God speak to me kind of in a new way uh, through, through that study, and also to learn what I can do if, um, if, I, if I really rely on Him. And that's what this summer's been about for me, so that's been really good. And uh, you've all been uh, very uh, kind and encouraging, and I appreciate that. So today we're going to kick off a new series so Tom will be preaching the second part of that series. Doug will be preaching number three and number four. It'll be a four-week series called Focus. So it's a series that we've been talking about for almost a year now. See, every year in the spring, our ministry staff, we take a day and we get off-site. We go somewhere else and we spend a whole day away from here to pray for you, to pray for Uh, the congregation of Plum Creek and we do some planning. We think about what kind of programs are going to be happening. We think about what messages we're going to talk about. So sometime back in the spring of 2018, we decided that we would need to take four weeks to talk about evangelism, that that would be something to be really helpful for our congregation. So the word evangelism comes from a Greek word that means this, to bring good news, Evangelism means to bring good news. You may be familiar with a saying from the Bible that says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Greek word there would be evangelist. How beautiful are the feet of an evangelist. So when we use this word evangelism in church, and the word starting to grow in popularity outside of the church world. They're starting to use that word in the, in the business world. But when we use it in the church world, what we're talking about is sharing the good news of Jesus. So, if you're talking to your children about faith, if you're teaching them to trust in Jesus and to follow him, if you're, teaching them to, uh, if you're teaching them about sin and what that means and how Jesus saves us from sin through his death because he became a sacrifice or the punishment for our sin, if you're teaching those things to your kids, you're practicing evangelism. You're sharing the good news of Jesus with your kids, and you keep doing that good work. And if you're having conversations with your neighbors or your coworkers or other parents on your, uh, that, whose kids are on your, your kids' sports teams, if you're having conversations with them about faith things, you're practicing evangelism, bringing good news. And if you're participating in any of the ministries that we have here at Plum Creek, maybe you work at the Sharing Center or Family Promise or you're a tutor uh, at, down at Northern, or maybe you volunteer with one of our partners like Cross Trail Outfitters or the New Hope Center down in Falmouth, or maybe you work in the student ministry, or in the children's ministry, or maybe you've been on a mission trip, or you're signed up to go to Nairobi later this fall on a trip with, with, our, with Plum Creek. If you've worked in any of these areas, you've had the opportunity to share good news about Jesus. In fact, all of our ministries here are designed with that In mind. That's the focus of everything we do here, sharing the good news of Jesus. We call that leading people to a life changing relationship with Jesus. That should sound familiar to you. It's our mission. So everything we do revolves around that. So to kick off this series, I want to talk about why we do all this, why we have. Even, why do we even have a church? Why do we do programs? Why do we do planning? Why do we train volunteers? Why do we train leaders? And why do we work with different partners? And I want to share a biblical understanding of why we do all these things, of what we do here at church. And I want to get, um, I think in order to get to that understanding, though, of what we do as an organization, as a church, we have to really have a clear understanding of what we mean when we say the word church because we use that word all wrong. And when we use that word wrong, it's a little confusing uh, even to insiders, to people who are here, but especially to outsiders when we do that. You see, we use the word church to mean a building, to mean brick and mortar. This morning, you got up and you drove to church, to a place. Here at Plum Creek, we have two buildings that we call the church. We have this building, which is sometimes called Plum Creek North, or the new church, we say, and we have another property located just a little bit south of here. We have a lot of ministries that happen there, and we call that Plum Creek South, but many people call it the Old Church. And this language is all wrong, because the church isn't a building. In fact, the New Testament church didn't even have a building. They were vibrant, they were growing, and they didn't even have a building. Because the word church is supposed to mean a group of people who are following Jesus. Jesus. So church isn't a building, and it's really not an organization in the way that we think of it today. The church is a group of people who are connected with a common focus. And what we want to talk about today is what is that common focus? What is that focus that we should have? How can we be accomplishing what it is we're designed to do? So we're going to look at a couple different scriptures today to help inform us of that. We can figure out what we are supposed to be as a church collectively as a group of people and what what is our purpose and and if you're part of a church and and not just plum creek but any church this is what you should be focused on so to start this morning we're look at matthew 28 so if you have your bibles if you're following along in your bible flip over to matthew chapter 28 i'm going to set this up for a second jesus had he had lived his entire life at this point in matthew 28 he, uh, all the miracles, you know, that Jesus performed, all the stories you've heard about Jesus have already happened. Then Jesus is put to death on a cross. He died on that cross to save the, the entire world of sin. So he was dead. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what we celebrate as Easter, even still today. So, uh, So after he rose from the dead, he's risen. Scripture tells us this, that Jesus interacted with over 500 people over the course of about 40 days. Most people don't realize that. They think Jesus just raised from the dead and and he came right up out of the grave and just kept on going up to heaven. But Jesus was around for about 40 days and he interacted with about 500 people. And then after that time, he had this instruction, this directive that he wanted to give his followers. And we find it here in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. Now, that's not a Bible word. If you're looking at your Bible and you see a heading that says Great Commission, that's not in the original Bible. It's a heading we put in there to know what, what this piece of Scripture is going to be about. And that, by, that word commission, uh, like I said, is not a Bible word, but that word means uh, commission means to be formally given a task or a duty. So if some of you are in the military, you might have heard that word commission. Commission before, formally given a task or a duty. So here is Jesus formally saying to his followers, Here's what you need to do. This is the commission. Matthew 28 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think it's important that we hear what it is Jesus was going to say here in this commission, in this formal challenge that he's making to his followers. But I think it's also important to note what he did not say in this context. He did not say, memorize every word I said. Memorizing scripture is a good thing. I think it's something we should do. It's helped me, over my life, get through some very tough tough times. But that wasn't the one directive that Jesus wanted to leave his followers with. Jesus didn't say, every Sunday, get up, put on your best clothes, put on a tie and a jacket or a dress, and come to church every week. I definitely think that most of us could put more value on the weekly gathering that we do here. It's important, but it wasn't the one directive that Jesus left us with. Jesus didn't say, make sure the hungry are fed or give people clothes. Other places in Scripture, Jesus certainly tells us that, but it wasn't the one thing that he wanted to leave us with. He doesn't say anything about singing songs or helping with kids or caring for homeless or Sunday school classes here in Matthew 28. All those things are good. We should be doing them, but only in the context of this focus that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28. Here's our focus. Go and make disciples. Make other followers. Tell everyone you know about Jesus. So that's the clear message Jesus makes in this commission, this charge, this, this thing he wanted to leave his followers with his very last few words that he spoke while he was here on earth. But if you're still not sure how serious Jesus was about that, I'd like to look at another passage. Flip on over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, there's an account of Jesus telling some stories that we call parables. They aren't actual historical events. It's a story that Jesus is telling that proves some point that he's trying to make. So I want to focus on just one of these parables today, but you might read all of those parables in Luke 15, and they're included in your scripture reading plan, in your bulletin, Luke chapter 15. Today, we'll just be reading verses 1 through 7. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. A chapter earlier, we see that Jesus is starting to draw a crowd But here, for the first time, the author of the book of Luke gives us more details about these people. They weren't religious people who were always hanging out at the synagogue. They weren't people who had it all together, we might say. Luke says they were tax collectors and sinners. The message, a different translation of the Bible, puts it this way. They were men and women of doubtful reputation. We might call these people today lost. Verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So the religious people, these teachers, they're called Pharisees here. And you, re- you may remember, if you were here back for the Ten Commandments, that we talked about, about these folks. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. Do you remember that? They were people who pretended to have it all together. On the outside, they looked like everything was fine. But on the inside, they, they really weren't. After what God was after. They were people who should have known the nature of God. They knew the scriptures, but they had become self-righteous. So they started to whisper about Jesus. They started to complain that he was this leader and he's teaching people, yet he wasn't spending time with them. He's spending time with people who were lost, people who didn't have it all together, and they didn't understand that. So Jesus told them this parable, uh, verse 4. Suppose if, you ha- if, if someone has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 and go into the open country after the lost sheep still, until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents Than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So, here in this parable, really in these three parables in Luke 15, we we see a picture of who Jesus is and who he wants us to be. We see that Jesus came to seek lost people. So, in the story, Jesus reveals his focus. He is just like the shepherd. He's consumed with his children, those who he created, those who he would later die for, but especially those who were lost. The ones who hadn't found their spiritual way of knowing who he is and the life-changing relationship that he wants them to have. To use language from the Ten Commandments uh, series that we talked about over the past couple months, these are the people who aren't living the way God created them to live. They were lost. In fact, Jesus couldn't possibly have done any more for them to help them find their way. He couldn't go any further to go after these people. And sometimes, that means that those of us who are already found, those of us who already have a relationship with Jesus, those of us who claim to follow Him, we don't always get our way. And if the church is really just people who follow Jesus the church is just this collection of people who have the same focus of wanting to follow Jesus, then we must also have this as our focus. If we're focusing on anything else, we're really just playing church. We're really just going through the motions. We're showing up here every Sunday, but if we're not focused on reaching lost people, something's not right. We really have reduced, if we do this, we really have reduced this God-ordained gathering of followers to just some social club where I can demand better service or I can always get what I want and when I want it. It really is just consumerism, if that's what we've boiled it down to. But if we look at this story told by Jesus, we have to realize who are the 99? Who are these 99 people that Jesus is talking about, these sheep? We said Jesus is a shepherd. We know who the lost sheep is. Who are the ninety-nine? It's us. At least it's most of the people in this room. If you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you are part of the ninety-nine. If you were baptized into Christ, you were part of the ninety-nine. If you grew up here, if you come here every week, if you serve here, if you give here, you're part of the ninety-nine. Maybe you used to be the one, but when you gave your life to Jesus, you became part of the ninety-nine. Maybe you were the one last week, but this week something's changed and now you're part of the 99. And Jesus didn't come for the 99, He came for the one, He came for the lost. And the church doesn't exist for the 99, it exists for the one, it exists for the lost. And my job as a minister on staff and your job as a follower of Jesus isn't about focusing on the 99, it's about focusing on the one, focusing on the lost. And if you're part of the 99, and you find yourself talking to friends or posting on Facebook about the church, and you find yourself using the pronoun I, saying I like or I don't like, I don't like the music, if you find yourself saying things like this, I don't like the music, I don't like the message, I don't like the color of the paint, I don't like the programs, I don't like the smell of the urinal cakes in the men's bathroom, if you say anything like that, then you've got a warped view of what church is. You've got a warped view of why Jesus came, and you've got a warped view of what it means to follow him. It's not about you. It's about reaching the one, people who are lost. And I have to remind myself of this, and I have to talk to my family and my kids about this. I am one of the 99. It's not about me. I've heard it said that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for people who aren't here yet. We're doing all this today for people who have yet to even shown up in our our doors. And I'll give you a little insight here. The staff here at Plum Creek, the leaders here at Plum Creek, the ministry teams here at Plum Creek are laser-focused on this. We are trying to figure it out. We don't always do it perfect, but we are trying to figure it out. We are clear about who Jesus calls us to be and what Jesus has challenged us to do. So when we plan services, we're constantly thinking about lost people. When we plan a program, we're thinking about how a lost person would interpret that program. When we think about what messages we're going to preach, we're thinking about lost people. We're consumed with it because Jesus was consumed with it. And fulfillment, and, and I really believe this, fulfillment can only be found when we wrap our minds around and, uh, this focus and we get on board with this mission. This challenge that Jesus makes to those who claim to follow him. Angie and I will be married 25 years this March. And uh, when you're 21 years old and you're getting married, you don't even know what 25 years means. Like, you've not experienced 25 years yet, so you're like... You know, you can't even imagine being married for 25 years or 50 years or 70 years. You know, I hear some of you folks that have been. But I wouldn't change anything over those years, good or bad, because those years have made us who we are today. And right after we got married, we were blessed enough to be able to take a trip to Cancun. Uh, The next morning after we got married, we flew to Cancun, and that was really an incredible trip. We did some Fun things, some cool things that we've never had a chance to do since. We went to this bullfight. We got in this little boat and rode out in the ocean and snorkeled. We did all kinds of great things. But most days, in the morning, we would get up and we would go down to the beach. We'd hang out at the beach until afternoon. We'd come back to the room and then get ready for dinner. So me, it takes about uh, five minutes to get ready for dinner. Angie, it takes about an hour to get ready for dinner. So uh, while she was getting ready, I hurried up and got got ready, and uh, while she was getting ready, I went down to the lobby of the hotel, walked out on the street in front of the hotel to ask some local people about some places we might be able to eat. So you may not know this about me, but at this point in my life, I was 21 years old, I had had two years of high school Spanish, so I was pretty much fluent uh, by that time. (laughs) I talked to a guy on the street there in Spanish about this great restaurant that was outside of the tourist district. It was downtown. He's like, you've got to go try this. I mean, some of the restaurants up here are okay, but you've got to go downtown and try this restaurant. It's the best food. The atmosphere is like a cultural experience, and you're going to love it. So I asked him, so how do I get there? I mean, do I just go find a cab and tell him the name of the restaurant? He said, no, 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 you don't want to take a cab. You want to get on the bus, the public bus. It goes straight downtown and will drop you off right in front of this restaurant. He said the cab ride is going to cost you about 20 bucks each way. The bus ride is going to cost you a dollar. So you definitely want to take the bus. So I always like a deal, and $20 to a 20-year-old 20, 20 years ago was a lot of money. So we decided. We're, I, I decided we were going to take the bus. So Angie reluctantly got on the bus uh, with me, and we headed downtown. It became evident pretty quickly that we were the only tourists on the bus. The bus was full of employees from the hotels and the restaurants in in the tourist kind of district, and they were all going home for the day from work. So every time the bus stopped, a few more people got off the bus, until finally it was just Angie and I on the bus. At this point, the bus driver uh, pulls the bus into the bus garage, he parks the bus, and he gets up and leaves. <laughs> so here we are in a Mexican bus garage, Angie and I on the bus. I tell, I've told my kids this story before, and they're like, why did not you just call somebody or Google it? And I was like, we didn't have cell phones 20 years ago. We had no idea how we're gonna get to the restaurant or even back to the hotel at this point. We really don't have a lot of options except to just sit and wait. So apparently, later we figured out, it must have been our bus driver's lunch break, because about 30 minutes later, he came back, he got on the bus, and we started the route again. I tried to ask him about the location of the restaurant, but whatever his answer was, it wasn't covered in the first two years of high school Spanish. So we just stayed on the bus. Uh, Through all this, Angie's starting to get a little bit frightened. I could see her confidence in her new husband uh, start to diminish, So I was trying to play it cool, and for the first time in 24 years today, I will tell you, I've never admitted this before, but I was starting to get a little worried too. Uh, I was starting to get nervous about what was going to happen next. Uh, But then the bus stops, the driver turns around, he yells something, points to the door, we get out of the bus, I assume this is our stop, we get out, and I don't see the restaurant. Only crowded streets. We're in an inner city, uh, in a foreign country, no other tourists around, We don't speak the language, we don't have cell phones, we're far from home, we're lost. And that's the most lost I've ever felt. There were times for for just those few minutes there where I was sure we're never going to get back. I don't know how we're gonna to get to our hotel. I started to become more terrified. I had no idea what would happen next. I didn't know what was around the next corner. I didn't know what was going to happen to us or if some emergency took place, what I would do. And I could feel myself starting to sink into helplessness and even hopelessness. And that's when I saw a taxicab. So I pushed my way through the crowded street. I waved, the taxi cab stops. I ask him about the, the restaurant, he, he says he knows where it is, motions us to get in the taxi, Angie and I get in the taxi, he drives literally just 20 or 30 feet down, turns right and stops and said, there's your restaurant. So we go to get out of the cab and I say, what do I owe you? He said, 20 bucks. And the restaurant was pretty cool. They were, they were playing music, and guys walking around playing music, right, at your tables, and they would get up, and, and people were dancing, and, and the food was incredible. But for some reason, Angie didn't seem to enjoy her meal. And we were done, I, and this is just because it's who I am. I can't control it. I can't stop this. We're walking out of the restaurant, and I asked Angie, hey, are you okay taking the bus back to the hotel? <laughs> no, we took a cab all over Campbell County, all over Pendleton County. There are people that are spiritually just like we were for just those few minutes. From Alexandria down to Falmouth, there are people who are lost. Some of them are oblivious. They don't even know they're lost. But most of them know something's wrong, something's missing. And they keep trying to find their way by going after stuff, by trying to get a bigger house or a nicer car. They look for things like success or escape or self-indulgence. They turn towards sex or alcohol or drugs. They invest in their portfolios to bring them more security, but nothing helps them find their way. But you know the way, because you've experienced it. You know Jesus. You know the way. And we can't call ourselves followers of Jesus, and we can't keep going on about our business, watching our friends and our neighbors just wandering around lost, hopeless and helpless. We can't call ourselves followers of Jesus if we don't share this good news that we have with Him. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what can you do this week? What can you do this week to help a lost person find his or her way. I want to tell you about uh, September 1st, Labor Day weekend. We're going to start a new series on the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament are all about Jesus. We call those books the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. So this week, even today, you can start praying about your friends and your neighbors being open to an invitation to come to church with you during that series. It doesn't have to be that first week. I know people were busy that week. This series is going to last all the way up into Easter. So you're going to have an opportunity to invite friends to have them hear about Jesus anytime during that. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus from his birth to his death to his raising from the dead, his entire life in chronological order. And we're going to be intentional every week about sharing this good news with everyone who is here at Plum Creek on Sunday mornings. So your part in this is to invite, and we've done this before. We've asked you to pray for one, remember that? We've asked you to invite one person or one family, and it's great when we do that. I think we should do that. In fact, if you're taking notes in your bulletin right now, I've got three spots for you to to write down the names of some people you could invite to that September 1st or that series starting in September 1st. But this time it's going to be a little bit different. Because this time we're kicking off something that's going to be a a new culture for us here at Plum Creek. We aren't asking you to pray just for one person. We aren't asking you to invite just one person. We already know you can do that. We did it back at Easter. We had a thousand people here on Easter Sunday. This time it's different. It's time for us. It's past time for us as a congregation, as a group of people who had this common focus, to get focused on what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. So we're trying to make this part of our culture, part of who we are. It might seem a little radical of you, to, to, of me to call for this kind of change, but the call of Jesus is radical. So the question for you today is if you're ready to answer that call, this challenge that Jesus made to tell everyone you know about what he's done for you. Starting conversations with your friends, starting conversations with your neighbors, sometimes hard conversations that happen with other family members, inviting them to join us here on Sunday to hear about Jesus, to learn about what it means to have a a life-changing relationship with Him, to experience what it's like to finally not be lost. Invite them to church, offer to pick them up on Sunday morning, meet them at the door, help them get their kids to the children's area, introduce them to friends, get a cup of coffee with them, bring them to the cafe after service, take them out to eat after, uh, after service. Whatever it takes. The call of Jesus was never meant just for a few people. You know, churches for a while got in the habit of hiring evangelists to do the evangelism work for the congregation, but that's not what the call of Jesus is. It's not just for somebody that has a degree from a Bible college or who has chosen to to do a, a career in the church. This challenge is for all of us, and it's not just a one time challenge. It's a new culture that we need to be taken on because that's what Jesus has called us to do. It's a lifestyle. We need to constantly have an eye open for opportunities to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And I've had some people that have told me, but everybody in my circle, they're already followers of Jesus. I don't know anybody that, that doesn't know Jesus. If that's the case, you need to expand your network. If everyone we already knew had a life-changing relationship with Jesus, much of the sin and suffering and hurt we see in the world every day, especially today, uh, would not be happening. But if you really are in that situation, I have another way for you to meet this challenge that I just talked about. At Christmas, we pack boxes for international students. Some of you may remember that. Students who would be coming to NKU throughout this school year. So there are over 100 students, international students, who are coming to NKU this month. Many of them have never had the opportunity to hear anything about Jesus before. They're spiritually lost. So I want to challenge you to do one of these three things. The first opportunity, right after second service today, right after service, uh, you can go out to the information center out in our gathering area, and somebody will help, help you figure out how we're going to get all these boxes that we packed A bunch of boxes, all right? They're all upstairs here. We need those boxes carried down the steps and put in a trailer because our wish team, our ministry team that does the wish program that works with international students, they'll be delivering those boxes this week. One way you can help is to take 30 minutes after service to pack those boxes down the steps and get them on a trailer. Second thing you might do, you might think, I could do more than that. The second thing you might do is we have students arriving at CVG Airport this week. And they're not just spiritually lost. Many of them are going to feel physically lost. They're in a foreign country. uh, They're 18 years old, and they don't have friends here. So uh, they're, they're feeling a lot like I felt 20 years ago back in Mexico. One way that you can help is to sign up to pick up one of these students and transport them from CVG over to NKU's campus. It would take you maybe about two hours. And during that two hours, you would have a chance to start building a relationship with someone who may not know Jesus. And starting that relationship through that couple-hour experience, you can start to pray for that student, maybe follow up with that student, and that relationship might grow to a point where you would have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Maybe you think, I could do a little more than that. Maybe... What if you and your family would pick up one of these students from the airport and offer to have them stay at your home for a night or two before you take them over to campus? Imagine the relationship you could build over that time period where they were at your house. Imagine if you ate meals with them a couple times, if you stayed up late one night getting to know them and about their culture and sharing about our culture. That would be the start to an amazing relationship. So I'm going to challenge you to do one of these three things. Look at that list. It's in your bulletin. Look and try to find the one that you're most comfortable with. Look and try to find the one that wouldn't stretch you maybe at all. Find the one that won't inconvenience you whatsoever this week. And then circle the next choice down. Get out of your comfort zone. And you can go out to the, to the gathering area here in just a few minutes to that information center, the circle there, go out there, and there are people that will help you figure out how you can get engaged in, in doing this and meeting, meeting somebody who uh, needs a friend and somebody who needs to meet Jesus." Luke 19:10 says, "The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus unless you're consumed with this challenge. Jesus was consumed with it. He gave his life for it. And it's why we're here. It's why we do all this church stuff. It's why we have the cafe or why we get up and sing songs. Why I have prepared a message today. Why we do all this stuff is all about that. To help lost people become found and to have a relationship with Jesus that is life changing. The funny thing is, we can't really do it. We certainly can't do it on our own. Only God saves. Only Jesus can bring this life change that we're talking about. And maybe that's why it's called a co-mission. It's not just a task that Jesus said, go do this, go figure it out, I'm sure you'll get it right. He promised to be with us. Right there in Matthew 28, he said, I'm going to be with you always. If you already wrote some names down in your bulletin, you know Jesus is already preparing the hearts of those people. And only he can bring the change that we're talking about. But the cool thing is this. He's inviting you to be part of that story. He's inviting you into that kingdom story. He wants you to be a part of the mission. It's just not his mission. It's not just our mission. This is a co-mission. It's a a work that we're doing together. You're not alone. And And if God is for you, who can be against you? So the challenge today is to be bold and to go start that conversation. I want to leave us with a passage from Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one that they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for today, and uh, Father, I thank you for this body of believers that is so encouraging to me. Uh, Father, I thank you that the way you designed your church, that uh, we would uh, be uh, together, that we would uh, rely on one another, that we would be encouragement to one another, that we would do life together, and I love how we we do that. And Father, I especially thank you for this uh, mission that you've given us, that uh, it you, you, you didn't have to include us in it, Father, but you made the church so that we are a part of this thing that you're doing uh, here in this world, reaching lost people, bringing life change to people. And Father, we just pray that uh, you would help us to keep that focus right in uh, front of us. Help us to be responsive to it. Help us to, to, to to keep in front of us that all the other things that we do, some of them are good things, Father, but all the other things that we do are really secondary to this idea that we have to share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our neighbors. Father, I just pray over the names that have already been written down right now. Those neighbors and friends and other uh, parents of our kids, teammates. That Father, you would be working on them right now to be open. Father, I pray uh, for this series of the Gospels that starts in September. And uh, Father, I just uh, I just pray that you would uh, keep that promise that you made to us that if we lift you up, that you'll draw all people to yourself. For Father, that's what we that's what we desire to do today to take serious this challenge that you gave us. And Father, we do that because it's, it's, it's who we are. It's who we were designed to be. But Father, we also desire, just like you do, that the sin and the suffering of this world would just keep becoming less and less, especially today, Father, as we pray for the people who are affected by the violence that we've seen in Texas and Ohio. Father, we, we want to see that go away. It's a result of sin. And, Father, we just want to do our part to be focused on people changing their life for you. So, Father, we know that your promise is you'll do your part until that day when Jesus comes back and there is no more sin and suffering. We look forward to that day, Father, and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.